Welcome to Missionary Roundtable with your host, Kale Horvath. Welcome back to Missionary Roundtable, the podcast all about the Great Commission and international missions. My name is Kale Horvath. I'm a pastor and missionary, and I'm so excited to be your host today, and I'm glad that you are joining us again for another episode. This summer, we are talking to pastors and missionaries all over the world about the Great Commission and how we can better do our part to do what God has told us to do and take the gospel to the world. And today I'm excited. Uh, One of my close friends and uh, ministry mentors is joining me today, Pastor Brett Bartlett. Brett, thanks so much for joining me, man. Yeah, good to be here, man. Uh, Pastor Brett is the pastor of Wildwood Baptist Church in Lambertville, Michigan. Um, How long have you been there, Brett? Your dad was the pastor before you. And how long have you been the senior pastor of Wildwood? I've been the senior pastor, I believe, for eight years now. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, Brett is a huge reason, actually, why I'm here in Hungary today as, as a missionary. Um, well, actually, I'll just give a little bit of the story here because uh, this is really cool. I actually, when I was 21 years old, um, I actually, I was 20 um, at the end of 2012. No, I was 21. I was 21. I, I was married that year. I, uh, I surrendered my life to missions at a missions conference at my church, and then I met Brett in 2013, just the next year in the summer, less than a year later, uh, pastor Jeff introduced me to Brett and, uh, Brett was doing some missions with his church in Hungary, um, doing some evangelical camps for kids. Um, and my last name is Hungarian cause my dad's Hungarian. So he's like, Hey, why don't you want to, why don't you come visit sometime? So the next year in 2014, I took my wife, we fell in love with it, started going back very frequently and uh, here we are today. So, Brett, thank you for what you've meant to me in ministry mentorship and learning my Bible um, and uh, falling in love with the country of Hungary as a mission field. Well, I'm honored to be a part of that, man. I know that um, I know that you had some amazing influences at First Baptist Church and, and, and Jeff and a lot of people build a lot into you. So if I can, you know me, if I can get I can get my name tagged on there at the end. Uh, I'll take, I'll take any press I can get. I'm I'm an attention (laughs) hound, but um, it is exciting to have a a small part to play in all of that. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke, man. Um, You know me. I, I seriously, I mean all of that. Um, You've been a big part. I, my favorite thing to always tell people is that I learned manuscript evidence from you in a barn. Um, so that's, that's my theological <laughs> training and pedigree. If anyone asks, I learned manuscript evidence in a barn from Brett Bartlett. <laughs> uh, wow. I, you remember I, I that? Encourage... You remember I when do. Jeff was like, Hey, why don't you come down and do like a six hour session, two nights in a row and just talk about manuscript evidence. And you planned on doing it and you only got like halfway through your notes in those two, <laughs> those two marathon sessions. I couldn't sessions. believe it. I couldn't believe I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it all out. Yeah, that was. And it was kind of all of us young crazy. guys who were training back then. It was kind of our first introduction to you. I mean, I had met you, but it was kind of everyone's first introduction to you. It was this marathon uh, manuscript evidence thing. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Just sweat and 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 saliva and, and like eight for- Red Bulls. That was back when you were like chugging Red Bulls to stay awake, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, because I had stayed up all night, uh, getting ready for it. Right, oh, right. Because you were super nervous back. Yeah, 
Oh man. But anyway, so Brett was the reason is a huge reason why I've, uh, ended up here in Hungary and we went for the first time in 2014 and Jeff and Erla came with me and my wife, uh, and, and joined Brett and, uh, your whole family. I think actually that first year, I, cause I remember meeting Molly and Connor and Cole and, and Bailey at two, I think. Um, yeah. and, uh, in 2014, which has been affectionately dubbed dog camp, um, <laughs> by a lot of dog people, camp. uh, that was, uh, has nothing to do with the the people who attended. It's uh, strictly because of the venue <laughs> that we attended. Well, it was a dog camp, and dogs were essentially allowed to poo there. <laughs> and, and and it was sandwiched between a marijuana festival and a nudist colony. And I'm not making. This <laughs> I remember up. the nudist colony. Yeah, <laughs> there was a fence. It was a, a relatively high fence. Yeah, like three feet. <laughs> oh my goodness! I uh, yeah, yeah the. And there was a, a yeah, creepy that... dude one of the days that was like, I feel like you had to body check and like tell him to get out no, of there. I ha- he had grabbed one of the kids, and wouldn't let go. And all of these like you know these super like, you know, tree huggy let's be loving Christians from Transylvania were trying to you know, lovingly talk to him about letting the kid go that he was wanting to abscond with and it wasn't working. And I was, I was taking a nap back in the cabin and my daughter, Molly, she comes in and tells me, I think I pretty much physically assaulted him, didn't I? Listen, I was only like 22 back then and it all happened really fast. But I remember (laughs) you were like chest bumping this dude like out of out of the premises. Yeah, it was. Man, those were the days. There were there were two of them. Was there there really? There were there were two guys. Yeah, man. And it makes me sound macho. These guys were probably, you know, you know, five, five. Yeah, like, listen, I mean, it, it it wasn't it wasn't the it, it wasn't cool, but it was effective. <laughs> oh, man, it, it worked it had to happen. Well, and it was, you know, you were the resident, you know, expert as far as Hungary and stuff goes. So it's like any of us like me, Jeff or anything, we're just there. We're like, I don't know what to do. Do we <laughs> what what happens in this scenario in this country, in this dog camp that we are in? You know, so <laughs> it's like whatever Brett's doing, that's that's the thing to do right now. <laughs> Oh man. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, great memories. Um, and, and just being able to go with you and your church and getting to know Wildwood, um, and, and just kind of the core of the Wildwood clan that, that made, uh, hungry camp HAF camp happen every year. It was, you know, for the most part, there was that same handful, 10, 12 people that, that, you know, I was working with every year to make that camp go. And so that, you know, that's been a blast. So our hearts are knit together for sure as far as ministering um, in Hungary. How many times have you been to yeah, Hungary, man? It's it's something crazy. Like like one-time trips. One-time trips, I've been to Hungary probably oh, one, two, three, 15 times. Wow. That's crazy. Because um, you would go in the summers the way, and the, the winters sometimes. Yeah, for the winter camps. And, and just so you know, uh, with COVID relaxing, you know, I just started up conversations uh, with Charlotte about, you know, getting the old HAF machine ramped up again. So awesome. Who awesome. knows? 
Who knows, bro? Who knows what, <laughs> what's happening? Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. I'm excited for that. Well, Brett, I have you on here today. We could easily, I could easily just have you tell stories about missions and whatnot, but the fun part about talking to Brett is start talking about the Bible and see what you say, because you are just a a living concordance and uh, dictionary when it comes to the Bible. And I'm grateful for that. So something that I have heard you say many times recently um, is something I'd like to bring up and, and get your take on this and why why you've been saying it a lot and why why that has uh, some significance to it. And it's this statement. I've heard you say this a few times that the Great Commission is the sole responsibility of, of the New Testament church alone is, is the implication there. So why is the Great Commission solely the responsibility of the church? And not it's not the sole responsibility of the church. I'm not, guys, if you're listening, I'm not saying it's the only thing church is supposed to do. But... It's, it's solely the responsibility of the New Testament church. What do you mean by that, Brett? And why is that significant? Well, I mean, it's significant because it, it, it speaks directly to, um, you know, parachurch organizations and, and their uh, attempts to, uh, in my opinion, abscond with um, the title deed um, that was given to, to the local church. Um, and it's interesting because when we, you know, we, we quote a passage on the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commission comes from a passage that was not even given to the local New Testament church. It was given to a bunch of apostles. And as a matter of fact, in, it's, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, rightly dividing the word of truth and or being a dispensationalist or whatever, I mean, we, we, could, we could technically define why it is. Um, that that this is this is the ground of the local New Testament church exclusively. Unfortunately, I don't I don't know if you want to get that technical with it today or not. But so I can make this more podcasty just by saying this. Um, the uh, when the disciples were commissioned in Matthew chapter ten, they were told in order to spread a physical kingdom to the nation of Israel. They were told specifically to go not into the way of the Gentiles, mm-hmm. neither into neither entering into the cities of the Samarit uh, of the Samaritans, but go only unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, you perform signs and 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 wonders, and 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 you heal the sick, and and you raise the dead. So help me, and, and you do all of these things uh, in 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 order to to let a physical nation. Israel, filled with physically genetic people, Jews, know that a physical kingdom is being offered to them, a kingdom that they ended up rejecting then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you see it switch. And you see that you see the, the, the context of he's now going to commission them out and he's going to tell them, don't go into the, don't just go to the nation of Israel, go into all the world mm-hmm. and don't perform sign gifts you know, don't do that. Um, what I want you to do is to preach the gospel. I want you to preach the gospel and I want you to baptize them. And after they get baptized, I want you to disciple them to where they can learn to do all things according to whatever, whatsoever I have commanded you. And, and even then that, that iteration of it, again, being pre-church, but there is a transition that is coming. Mm -hmm. And, and that transition is the book of Acts. 
And, and to deny that the book of Acts is a transitional book and to deny that the point of, of that book is a transition from Peter to Paul, to transition from Jerusalem to Antioch, to transition from a temple to, to, to a, a, a house or church, uh, to transition from uh, physical gifts to spiritual gifts, uh, to transition from Israel to the church, to transition from Jew to Gentile, to transition from kingdom of heaven to kingdom of God. Um, well, I mean, is, is, is to deny the substantive content of the book. You're going from one dispensation to another. And that bridge is designed to get you to the fully developed doctrine of the church age. Mm-hmm. And in order to make that transition, the elements of the church and the embryonic or primitive church had to be there which is why the church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles. And so it is by comparing scripture with scripture to make, I mean, again, I'm trying to podcast version this. This is good. But it is, it, it is by comparing scripture with scripture that we see that those elements um, of the Great Commission are to be carried over in that bridge all the way into the Pauline church age iteration of what that was to, of what was handed to Paul. And we, through Paul, by extension, we earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Well, it was delivered unto them on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles, and from the apostles to Paul, who was an apostle born out of due time, who then began to dictate our responsibilities as the church. And so I, I guess just by way of proof text in Ephesians chapter four, and there's actually two things I want to mention about this. So, mm-hmm. you know, one would be the scriptural argument. And the other one would be connected to the scriptural argument, the logical argument. Um, so let's start with the scriptural argument. And again, we could be here all day. Uh, I'm just going to choose, I'm just going to choose one passage. But in Ephesians chapter four, Paul is describing um how Christ, when he died, uh, went down into the center of the earth and took Old Testament saints uh, from Abraham's bosom and led them, led captivity captive and led them uh, uh, into third heaven. And there deposited the inhabitants of Abraham's bosom, those, those Old Testament saints, if you will, into third heaven. And he did this before the resurrection. Mm-hmm. which means that Christ would have actually have ascended twice. There were two ascensions, one that was done in his spirit during that three days. And then after he rose from the dead, what is considered the classic ascension mm-hmm. where he, he is, yeah, where, 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 where he ascends bodily. And speaking in the context of that first ascension, uh, Ephesians chapter four, um, and by the way, Ephesians chapter four, and I'll get back to this argument here in a second. This will be my second argument. The whole argument is given in the context of the local church. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, you know, everything that we know about New Testament doctrine comes from a Pauline epistle that Paul wrote to a local church. Yeah. That's and, what he's, that's and what he's writing five, to. I think, is the, the mystery of the church as the bride of Christ revealed. So The mystery so, of the church as yeah. bride of Christ. So you have the doctrine this, of the church revealed in Ephesians 5. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so speak and so and, and so speaking 
to the church militant, if you will, Ephesians chapter four, mm -hmm. as opposed to the church triumphant, if you will, in Ephesians five. He says, um, starting in verse eight, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, now again, this is when he led captivity captive. Mm -hmm. So this would have been the first, this would have been, you know, before the bodily resurrection. It says that he gave gifts unto men when he did that. And, and why did he give those gifts? He's going to get to it right after this parenthetical. Now he that ascended, what is uh, it but he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And now he's going to get back to uh, the parenthetical being over, verses 9 and 10. He's going to get back to the direct thought that he left off in verse uh, 8. When he ascended up into heaven and, and applied the blood of the mercy seat into the throne of grace in third heaven, and he deposited the, the former, the now former inhabitants of paradise or Abraham's bosom in third heaven, when he did that, he, he, he gave gifts unto men. And I want us to look at who those gifts, uh, what those gifts are and what they're for. Because they all turn out to be offices that are held by men. Mm -hmm. He gave some, and, and the, the grammar here is absolutely vital. And he gave some apostles, semicolon. And if you're a student of scripture and, 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 and you've taken it seriously, you know why those semicolons are there and why they're important. He gave some apostles semicolon and some prophets semicolon and some evangelists. And then look at how he combines the next. And he gave some pastors and teachers. Semicolon. Right now. <laughs> right. Semicolon. Right. Now, 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 I won't get into the whole semicolon era and transition. I just want to concentrate on this. He gave pastors and teachers. These are offices that when you compare scripture with scripture are only given to the local New Testament church. And there are no other New Testament exceptions to that. And anyone that would take umbrage with that sentiment, I'm, I'm unfortunately going to have to challenge to find that exception. Mm -hmm. Because if you can show me where God subcontracted out the Great Commission and the work of ministry to any other institution other than the local New Testament church, if you can show me where in this age he has done that, I, I promise you, on the day that that happens, I will step down from what I do as a vocation. I, 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 I mean it that seriously. Um, the burden of proof, as it turns out, if we're going to frame this in a debate, and by the way, Cal, I know you're not, but you know me. <laughs> yeah, no, okay? this is great, man. But the burden of proof isn't on me. The burden of proof is on the parachurch hack. Mm -hmm. The burden of proof, the onus is on him to show where the Bible does it if it doesn't. I have no burden of proof. Everybody concedes my point. Mm -hmm. Everybody concedes that the local New Testament church does this job. If you're going to say there's an, there's an exception to that rule, well, guess who the burden of proof is on? It's on them, and they can't do it. 
Yeah. And by the way, keep reading. By the way, keep reading. Um, why did he give these pastors and teachers these offices that are only given in the context in the New Testament to the offices of the local New Testament church to be fulfilled by men? Well, here's the answer. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of Man unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. This whole deal of discipling men and being involved in the work of the ministry, seeking and saving that which was lost, and this whole this whole uh, having pastors and teachers to oversee that administration and to actually administer that teaching and that oversight is the exclusive territory of the local New Testament church. Just as baptism and the Lord's Supper, which is a whole other discussion, are the ordinances given to the local New Testament church, and yet it's baptism that is embedded in that, in, in that great commission that we see is not Jewish. It was originally given to Jews, but it's not Jewish specific because it's not just for Jerusalem and Judea. This is an international ministry that is to be carried forth mm -hmm. um, through, conveyed through the book of Acts to the book of Paul. And Paul picks up on it exactly, which if you're a hyper-dispensationalist hack and you're listening, <laughs> which is why Paul also baptized. Mm -hmm. Well, why was Paul baptizing? What, what, why was Paul engaged in this Jewish kingdom of heaven exclusive 12 apostle commission given in Matthew? And why are all of the elements of the Great Commission carried forth, being conveyed through the book of Acts, embedding itself into, into Pauline epistles and expressed as church doctrine by the pen of Paul as you compare scripture with scripture through every one of his epistles? There is no denying that the Great Commission is for the church age, just as there is no denying that the Great Commission is the exclusive right and territory of the organism, which is the local New Testament church, replete with its pastors and teachers and offices that God uniquely ordained and gifted for the express purposes of fulfilling ministry. That's good. And it's the thing that I always uh, think of um, in this regard is uh, Acts 20, um, towards the end of the chapter, the, the only organism or entity that, that Christ purchased with his blood was the church of God, right? I think he says in that same mm -hmm. verse, feed the flock of God. Um, mm -hmm. Then he goes on to say that, you know, Christ purchased the church with his blood. That's the only thing that he's bought that he's purchased. So it makes sense then that that is the means and the mode for which he's going to take this gospel to the world. Right. What else did he, what else name another institution that Jesus Christ promised to build? Mm. Yeah, there you go. He didn't promise to build Bible colleges. Mm -hmm. He didn't promise to build seminaries. He didn't promise to build, you know, uh, vitamin B dispensaries in third world countries. I'm not saying those things are bad. Well, I'm not saying the vitamin B dispensaries are bad. I'm not saying those things are bad, <laughs> but, but, but that is not what Christ promised to build. And yeah. what's going on in these last days 
is Christian organizations that don't have uh, the qualifications that God has given, and they don't meet the, the the biblical and doctrinal stipulations, can they can have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. They can get around that by saying, well, you can't apply all that to me because we're not a church and I'm not a pastor. Mm-hmm. Only then to turn around and with the other side of their mouth say, well, you know, we're the church of God and we're all one big church and and I, we're just here doing the Lord's work and who's to say that I can't? You, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, while yeah. they build while they build a structure and an apparatus and a ministry in the name of Jesus Christ that's actually competing <laughs> with what Jesus Christ said is the thing that I'm building. Right, right. <laughs> well, this is madness and hypocrisy. And I think, I, I don't think I'm being a fundy curmudgeon <laughs> to call that what it is, madness yeah. and hypocrisy and heresy. That's, that's, I, I feel that strongly about it. Now, if we, let me ask you this, maybe, maybe turning the conversation a little bit. Do you think that it, maybe not entirely, but is there any part of this being the church's fault (laughs) that those entities and organizations have risen um, maybe filling a vacuum or a void is, is, is any of that the church's fault, the new Testament local church's fault in, in some part of church history or is specifically in Laodicea. Do you think, or, or no? Well, of course, of course I do. It, it's just that. I mean, it doesn't I, make I think, it right. It, it doesn't make it right. No, it, but, exactly. Exactly. And, and, but that's, I mean, Almost every societal ill and ecclesiastical ill is the church's fault because the, because the church, well, in its present iteration, sucks. <laughs> and and it's, it's filled with a bunch of people who are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And because they feel they have need of nothing, they do nothing. Yeah. And you have churches that are demanding – uh, things of their church members and pastors demanding things of missionaries that they're not fulfilling themselves or they're doing themselves. And then even the ones that preach what I preach. No, you're, you're, you know, evangelism is supposed to be organized through the local church. They have no evangelistic ministry. Mm. You know, the tr- training and, and equipping and edifying that's to be done at the local church. And then you go to that church and all they do is do the same thing on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and call it a day. Of course, it's their, of course, it's their fault. Of course, they're complicit. I just think when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we're all going to be shocked as to what Christ's opinion was of "quote unquote" necessary evils. Hmm. Well, you know, Bible college has become a necessary evil, a necessary evil. Well. <laughs> Christ is going to have his day on giving his opinion of our Christian necessary evils. I don't think it's going to go that well for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You kind of mentioned earlier when you were talking about how this isn't, you know, this, this evangelism, this great commission thing, it's not something that was supposed to just stay in Jerusalem and Judea. It's supposed to go out to the outer parts of the world. Uh, could we shift and talk a little bit about um, the iteration of the great commission that's specifically in the book of Acts? 
um, talking about our transition from one dispensation to the other. So you got Acts 1.8. Um, I've got it here. I'll just read it really quick, but so I get it right and don't screw it up. Uh, but ye shall receive power, Christ talking to the disciples. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He had not come yet at Pentecost. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Um, so some people kind of treat this as a sequential thing. Other people, um, uh, you know, it's maybe even a preacher's cliche in some circles. You know, it's not a, you know, either or, it's a both and thing. Uh, what's your take on um, what Christ is, what, what's Christ actually getting at to the disciples? Is it a strategy? Is it, uh, is it a strategy for reaching the world? Is it just a command at the extent of their ministry? What, what's he getting at here? Well, this is why you have to be able. <clears throat> Listen, if if you're not a dispensationalist, there, first of all, there's no way to answer this question, um, except devotionally, mm. which there's nothing wrong with being devotional. But when you're giving devotional answers to doctrinal questions, you're saying nothing. Sure, sure. You're just sounding spiritual. It's, it's just shouting, you're asking right. it. Right. You're asking a doctrinal. If you were asking a devotional question, I'd give you a devotional answer and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but you're asking a doctrinal question. If I give you a devotional answer to a doctrinal question, what I'm saying is, is that I don't know, but I still want to sound godly. Um, there's no doctrinal way to answer this doctrinal question apart from dispensationalism in any way that makes sense. And the problem with this is just like uh, the previous question, um, if you're not well-grounded in right divisions, then you're going to fall for any division. And eventually, a hyper-dispensationalist is going to make its way to your door. And you're going to think, now this guy really understands the Bible. Uh, look how he compares Scripture with Scripture. Wow, I'm actually learning now. And you're going to take what he has hook, line, and sinker. Satan's got a false teacher for everything. Even people that want to make divisions and compare scripture with scripture, he has false teachers for them. They're called hyper-dispensationalists. And if you don't really know what you're doing and you're not ready to deal with the Baptist false doctrines that you have been taught, a hyper-dispensationalist is going to turn you upside down and sideways. And they're going to use the very two passages of scripture that you have brought up in order to do it. So um, it's a weird thing. Hyper-dispensationalists don't show up until you're, until you're ready to do missionary work. I can't <laughs> explain. It. It's like they don't even exist. You know what they're like? You ever buy a new car? In 1994, I bought a Dodge Neon. <laughs> and, and, and the reason I bought a Dodge Neon is because I had never seen a car like it before. Until the day I bought a Dodge Neon, and then all of a sudden, the car you buy—they're everywhere. <laughs> you immediately see it everywhere. It's like half half the population owns my car. It's so weird. Hyper dispensationalists are like Dodge Neons. You don't even think they exist. They don't even think you exist until you start doing missions work. And then all of a sudden, that's all there are. Um, but anyway, neither here nor there. Um. Let's be honest about this passage, because we would be remiss greatly 
if we did not point out the fact that this comes in the context two verses earlier is one of the key questions and the key divisional markers in all of scripture. As a matter of fact, if you can't explain why and what the disciples are asking in verse six of Acts one, I don't believe you have any way of rightly contextualizing um, any part of the New Testament that is not specifically a Pauline epistle. Mm -hmm. I think you are lost and out to sea and your doctrinal understanding can only be can only be connected to the soteriology of Pauline epistles and you're limited doctrinally in the entire New Testament if you can't properly answer the what and the why of verse 6. And so, I mean, how can we deny that verse 8 appears in the context of verse 6? Yeah, 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 sure. Do you want to read that or do you have it? Yeah, yeah. I can read yeah, it. Yeah, that's okay. fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, let, let's start, um, start in verse 5. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, well, in verse four, we see Jesus saying, wait for the promise of the father, which he saith, which saith he, you've heard of me for, jo for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy ghost. Not many days hence when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again, the kingdom to Israel. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the father put into his own power. Verse eight, but you shall receive power. Yeah. Okay, so verse 8 is actually given in the direct context of Jews wanting to spread a physical kingdom of heaven to the nation of Israel. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and this is why this is important, because is it true? When a hyper-dispensationalist comes to you and says, uh, the Great Commission is Jewish, it is Jewish. Then, but that doesn't mean that our great commission for the church doesn't come until the prison epistles. You talk about a bunch of logical leaps. No, the great commission was given at the end of Matthew, at the end of the gospels for a reason, because that's the thing that is to be conveyed over the transitional nature of the book of Acts into the church age. And so is it true that God gives us power and all power is given us in heaven and earth? to go into all the world? Yes, that's true. But that that by proving that that was for the Jews when they were spreading a physical kingdom, which is what they wanted to do, they're asking about the spreading of a physical kingdom. They want a physical kingdom to be restored. And right. so they asked Christ after 40 days, of, of their minds being supernaturally opened and being taught by the greatest Bible teacher who has ever lived, Jesus Christ himself. These disciples, who the commentaries will be like, you know, these poor dumb disciples who didn't really know much of what was going on. Yeah, they walked with Christ for, for three, three and, and a half, half years. <laughs> their minds were supernaturally opened by the Holy Spirit to receive teachings for 40 days on this subject from the resurrected Christ. And they didn't know what they were talking about. Gag me with an, NIV. they might've been dumbly like, called them, but they, they weren't at this point. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, these dumb fishermen. Right. Right. Okay. And so what are they wanting? Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom? Mm -hmm. Right. Messiah, yeah. I mean, they're to, looking for that to day. Israel. Right. 
And what was all about their business is not now. What, what God is saying is, listen, before Israel rejected me, yeah, we were all about that, weren't we? But it's not given for you to know the times and the seasons. Now, what's interesting about that is, is even though the times and the seasons is a doctrine that concerns Israel mm-hmm. becoming a nation and Israel receiving its Messiah after tribulation, it's actually the Jewish disciples and apostles that don't know anything about that because it's not given for them. And yet, when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a book written by Paul to the church, Paul says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you need not that I write you know, to you. <laughs> yeah. you know it so well that I, the apostle Paul, cannot elucidate on any points further you know it as well as I do. The mm-hmm. church knew what the disciples didn't know. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, they were to transition at the beginning, these apostles, but it wasn't like the end. It wasn't like the end of Christ's earthly ministry, where it was only to the nation of Israel. They were to be witnesses both, and yet, Four things are listed. Why? Because Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are considered one thing. And then the Gentile nations are another thing. Hmm. Is this for the early church and the apostles? Or is this for the international Gentile uh, uh, church ministry? Well, what is the answer? The answer is right there in verse 8. The answer is both. Mm-hmm. The answer is both. Yeah, amen. It's not binary. It's either or. And so absolutely the Great Commission was for the Jews, for Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And it was also for the Gentile church in Antioch and the other most parts of the earth. And absolutely all power is given unto us to fulfill the Great Commission, just like all power was given unto them to fulfill the Great Commission for the primitive and early church according to their understanding at their time as it is for us and in our understanding and at our time. And when something, when the answer can be both, then never fall for a hyper dispensationalist or anybody else's false dilemma. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And so you've got, so the, I, I don't want to say the classic teaching, maybe, maybe what you said earlier, the, uh, um, the devotional, the common devotional teaching um, you know, Jerusalem, you know, their immediate surroundings, Judea yes. going a little bit further out, Samaria crossing cultural boundaries, and then the uttermost part, international mission missions. And and like you said, that's not that's not wrong. It's just not necessarily like the really, you know, deep doctrinal teaching. Um, there's a lot of people who or churches who might um structure their uh maybe even their missions finances in this way. You know, and we have our Jerusalem projects mm. or Judea. It, I mean, is that, is that really what Jesus was getting at here? Or is it, or is it like you were saying more of, no, 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 this is supposed to start here and go outward and you're supposed to do all of it at the same time. It's because I mean, what you're saying is it's not sequential. It's not, okay, start here. And when, when you can check Jerusalem off the list, then move to Judea. <laughs> and then when you can check that off the list, move to Samaria. Well, I do think it's sequential in, in a sense in other words, you know, this is why, you, you know, people get tripped up on baptism all the time. 
because they say that, well, you know, we should go with the last baptism. You know, we should be, we shouldn't be baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We should be baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ, like they did in the book of Acts. Well, no, it's not that simple. You have to look at the application. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ when that was for Jews that, who were repenting mm-hmm. of the sin of having crucified their Messiah, sure. and they were identifying with a national repentance. That was an individual salvation. Mm-hmm. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and we have an international ministry. They were to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ when they had a national ministry to the nation of Israel. So when you get to the othermost parts of the earth and you're baptizing Gentiles, you should be baptizing under the prescription of the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Mm. That's an international ministry to Gentiles. A Jewish specific is in the name of Jesus Christ. Another example would be the, 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 the ridiculous application, by the way, of this, you know, Friends of Israel, John Haggy bullcrap mm. of, uh, of uh, you know, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as if if you don't evangelize Jews first, then we shouldn't be evangelizing Gentile like, nations. Like literally, yeah, right, right. Yeah, like what what utter nonsense. See, there's the same, there's the same idiots that go around saying that we shouldn't be using terms like missionary because it's not a biblical term. We're apostles and apostles are sent to Israel. I mean, this, this, of course, while denying that we should be using the word missionary, they're getting their churches ready for the rapture. You know, that biblical right. term. They're just cherry picking things to be dogmatic <laughs> yes. about. Yeah. Right, right. And, and, and teaching on the Trinity, yeah. which is not a biblical term. No, I mean, and, and by the way, I believe in the Trinity and I believe in the <laughs> of rapture. Course, of course, <laughs> I, I don't, don't mishear that. Yeah. But Patterson. no, of course, listen, that's already happened. It did go to the Jew first, chronologically. Sure. And now it's gone from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth for Gentile nations and the Gentile church after the full transition of the Oh, interesting. Acts. So like historically is what you're saying there. That, okay, yeah, that, yes, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, inter- interesting take on that. Or not take, but yeah, interesting. Looking at it from that historical perspective, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I, I see yes. what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of the book of Acts yes. right there. That's it. Right, right, right. And Act, Acts 1-8 is giving you a preview of where this is going. Mm-hmm. And the Jews didn't, the uh, Gentiles didn't fully understand it because there was going to be a whole kingdom of God aspect intermingled into this mm-hmm. that they weren't ready to receive because that were mystery, those were mysteries that were reserved for the church. And who got the mysteries of the church? Mm-hmm. The apostle right. Paul. Mm-hmm. No, that's and good. And that's why the Gent, that's why the Gentile church understood it so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a great uh, historical perspective on Acts one eight, and then obviously today we're going everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what we're supposed to do, without distinction. Right, and, and it, right. And if you think when I'm in Hungary, before I witness to somebody, I'm going to say, "Excuse me, sir, but are you a Jew? Because I can't witness to you until I witness to a Jew first. <laughs> yeah, is it first what in my other- lifetime, or first today, or first? Oh. <laughs> it, when I when I hit the country first on my street, 
Yeah, yeah. Lunacy. <laughs> Lunacy. And that's uh, coming from the hyper dispensational guys. Well, unfortunately, no. Or, or that's the John Hagee I mean, stuff. Hagee stuff that you were talking. Well, about. It's, uh, listen, that that that's funding. That that's inter- that that's a, that's a lot. Not all, but that's a lot of whatever they call themselves is IFB, IBF, mm. and the Charismatics, Hagee, and the hyper dispensationalists. It's just it's just mm. false doctrine. Sure. That if you if you can't attack the content of the gospel, that's okay. You can attack the context of the gospel. Mm. So. So if you can't attack its substance, you can attack its application. Mm. And that's not good either. <laughs> yeah. You're neutering. The Accomplishes the same point. thing. Yeah. Right. right. That's good, man. Well, hey, man, the last thing I'd like to talk with you about, and you can get into any depth that you'd like to on this. I'm, I've been trying to ask every pastor missionary that we've had on here this question, um, just because I'm genuinely interested <laughs> in the answer. Um, so we've went through some crazy world events, uh, COVID 2020, and now we're living with the ramifications, it seems, as we continue on here in life. Um, how has the world events um, now? I mean, I, I understand your eschatological view, uh, certainly. How have these events in light of your eschatological view on scripture, how has it practically affected your urgency, your strategy? Um, or even just your personal walk with the Lord in, in regards to the Great Commission in these last days? Well, it's very, you know, I know that, you know, you start talking about COVID and its legitimacy and its application, and, 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 and you, start, you start ticking off everybody, and, sure. and, and, and even sometimes needlessly. I'm all about offending people, <laughs> but only heretics. Um, uh, COVID is not an is an is not an issue of heresy. Um, I don't think that churches should be judging other churches for their cavalier attitude that they have taken towards COVID or for their very stringent approach. Mm-hmm. We are given a diversity of administration. You know, if you want to structure your church for Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, that's a great little system to do it. Um, the Bible doesn't prevent you from doing that. There's nothing unbiblical about it. And to the extent that it's unbiblical, that it's not unbiblical, I'll defend your right to do that. Um, if you want to have masks, even now, oh, listen, that's none of my business and that's not a Bible issue. Um, now it gets a little bit stickier when we get into the, should we be assembling? Because I don't see an asterisk next to the passage of Scripture that though it be in Hebrews, almost all of the pastors that I know that didn't assemble always taught as applying to the church when it was convenient for them to do so. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see a day approaching. Oh, but we didn't see pandemic coming. So in the case of pandemic, we don't want to be a super spreader. I think you've got some logical problems there. I do. Mm-hmm. I personally feel there are some logical issues there. Um, especially in light of the fact that, you know, there are some heroic churches in Hungary, heroic churches in, in, uh, uh, in Austria, the Austria-Hungarian Empire, uh, local churches that I know of that, 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 that preached a pure gospel, though I'm not going to pretend that they were fundamental Baptists. Who met during the bubonic plague because of that verse? Hmm. 
because they didn't see an exception to the rule. And so they hazarded their they hazarded their lives so they could assemble. And by the way, their communities persecuted them horrendously for spreading the disease. Hmm. And they met anyway. And some of them were even beaten by their townspeople in order to prevent them from continuing to meet on Sunday morning because that was their biblical conviction, though there was a pandemic going on. I I say those people are heroes of the faith, by the way. Now, 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 so, so whether or not we should assemble and, and, and whether or not a, a, a Zoom or a internet cast meets that requirement, I'll just let me say this. We should assemble. What satisfies that requirement? I suppose is on the hearts and consciences of the pastors and the assemblies on an individual basis. I'm certainly not going to let them judge me. I don't expect them to allow me to judge them. Sure. But what it has done for me is it has made me double down my resolve on exactly what I'm willing to go through and what I'm willing to put my church through in order for our church to satisfy our conscience before God on what it meets on what it means to assemble and what it means to do ministry and what it means to do evangelism. It is, it is interesting to me that every prohibition that existed and still residually exists for COVID, coincidentally, it all affected ministry. Hard to evangelize when you're six feet apart and wearing a mask. Sure. Hard to meet and assemble as a church when you can only put 10, 10 people in a room, 50 people in a room. You go through a list, and I don't think this is an accident, even though the human mediators of these laws may not have known what they were doing. Sure, sure. And every one of them, there's a common denominator to every prohibition against COVID. And the common denominator is it affects what we are supposed to be doing as New Testament Christians more than any other demographic in society. Hmm. Um, and so it 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 got me to question and to answer and to come to terms with my resolve for what I'm willing to do and risk in order to um, fulfill the incumbent responsibilities upon um, a New Testament Christian. And as a pastor, what I am willing to lead the flock through and to ask them to do um, as well. And uh, I would say that has been its primary effect on me personally and as and as a as an overseer of of the flock Mm. that's really good man um i'm glad that you brought up the the bubonic plague thing um because obviously we understand how big of a deal that was and how many you know the severity of it how many people died globally um before modern medicine of course but those people were probably going to church um and actually spreading it. I mean, I mean, let, let's just be honest. I mean, they, it's not like they, they, they could say, oh, no, we're not like, you know, I mean, there's because nowadays, you know, there, there's different arguments right. about COVID that I'm not going to get into where we could make the argument whether you are or aren't or what what is safe and what's not safe. Back then, I mean, they were probably spreading it and they were probably dying, but yes. they had a scriptural conviction, which is amazing. And and even so, as we see the day approaching, um, 
That's interesting, man. That, that's a really good point uh, to put out there for other pastors who are listening. I want to throw this out there um, because for me, I think one of the big things, and I mean, of course, this has to do with me leaving and going to the mission field with my family too, but, you know, our, our, our good friend and, um, and uh, ministry mentor, um, Pastor Mark Trotter, went home to be with the Lord earlier this year, and something that Pastor Mark always uh, doesn't matter who he was talking to or preaching to. Um, it was always bringing it back to the judgment seat. And man, I gotta say, maybe this has, maybe it's the culmination of a lot of things in my life. Um, pastor Mark passing COVID going to the mission field, turning 30, having a kid, but man, I tell you what, in the last year or two, um, I just see, I, I, I'm looking towards the judgment seat every day. You know, and, and, and when I was younger and, and pre-COVID and all of these things, I, I it was something I knew I should be doing, but ne- not necessarily a daily practical thing that I was living by. But man, I tell you what, with COVID now, and we don't, we don't know when the Lord is coming back, it, it, it almost changes how I see the mission field too, man. Whereas like two years ago, I would have, I would have told you all these goals that I had for, for going to the mission field and going to Hungary. And now it's, I want to get to the judgment seat and look the Lord in the eyes and say, I did what you asked me to do. You know, it's, it's like, like, yes, I want to see people saved. Yes. I want to, I want to build a, I want to play in a church, but it's, I don't know, man. I, I'm sure maybe you feel that too, but it's just, I just want to be able to get there and say, I did what you asked me to do, Lord, you know? Yeah. And, and to that end, it, it's, it's, I have moved from very macro to very micro in my goal setting. Interesting. So I, I, I set a bunch of short term mini goals now because I, I can, I can feel it. I mean, when you got craft from Zechariah chapter five <laughs> being, re, being reported on as nonchalantly as the tigers lost another one. You can feel it in the air tonight? Is that what you're saying? You can feel it in the air tonight, yes. Yes, I see the lights. I see the party lights. They're red and blue and green. And um, I, listen, whatever you think of COVID and whatever you think of the legitimacy of COVID, if you cannot step back from all of that and look at the panorama of what has gone on in the last 14 months, in this, in this world and not believe that there was preposterous amounts of satanic deception surrounding it and that it was not used for a setup and a trial for something else. And it is coming out of the end of that, that all of a sudden, it seems like the media and the government have timed in cahoots with people and pandemics and health scares and rising prices and the strange wars in Israel and UFO flaps to the point that they're now not even being denied by anybody. I mean, listen, if you can look up into the sky and you can tell what the weather is going to be and you can't look up into the sky and tell that we're getting closer to that day. Well, the Bible says this Christ's words, you're a hypocrite hmm. if you can't do that. Hmm. Spoken to religious leaders. I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in saying that because of the part of this that was true can be verified. We are going to ignore the fact 
that that truth has been twisted to tell an overall lie to this entire world. And it's completely changed how we view everything. And if your ministry approach hasn't changed with that global sea change, I think you're not playing the right game. I think you got to get hip to the jive. And I think you got to start setting micro goals and you've got to be a little bit more panicked. There's got to be a little bit more pep in your step and you've got to be a little smarter and more creative than you've ever been. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And man, is it, I don't know, in second Peter or maybe in first Peter, he, he just talks about his, you know, if you're living in light of the judgment seat or of that day, you know, how, how then, how should we ought to live? Right. And right. we should seek to purify ourselves. We should seek to live holy lives for he is holy. And I don't know. I just, I just feel like if, if you're, like you said, if you're hip to the jive and you see it all coming down the pike and you can feel it in the air tonight, you sh- if you're a Christian, you should, well, if you're not a Christian, you should get saved because it's coming down the pipe. But if you are a Christian, you should probably make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing so that he finds you doing what you're supposed to be doing. And maybe you've Amen. got a little bit more time left to to get it right and to get that sucker out of the napkin and actually invest it in what he told you to invest it in. Amen. Awesome. Hey, man, thanks so much. This was great. Any any last words here? Um, uh, support Kale Horvath. Oh, I'm editing that out. <laughs> a, a Bible... No, you're not. A Bible-believing missionary. Um, be praying for him. And put some feet to your faith and put some sacrifice to your prayer and don't shut up this world's good for this family that has gone down the rabbit's hole and we need to be holding the rope with our finances and prayers. Don't forget about the Horvath family in Hungary. Oh, thanks, man. Keep that in, Kale. Keep it in. You have to All right. Me. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to counter with make sure you. Tune into Theology Roundtable to hear more of Brett Bartlett <laughs> every Friday morning on the Theology Roundtable podcast on Spotify and more. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, man. Love you. It's been great. All right. See you, bro. Well, there you have it. Brett Bartlett, uh, always an interesting uh, person to listen to. He just knows so much about the Bible. Um, it's just always interesting. I, I always learn something new. Uh, listening to Pastor Brett, so I, I really greatly appreciate him being on. I know how busy he is, but everything that he said there, uh, we talking about uh, the Great Commission as the the responsibility of the New Testament Church and 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 how it was supposed to be done in Acts one eight and the model that he gave the disciples that was then passed on to the church, um, even all the way to the end of our conversation there, where we were talking about the urgency and and how. Um, how Pastor Brett has, how it's affected him and his ministry and, and uh, his interest, being introspective of himself and, and how far he's willing to sacrifice as the day approaches. I, I hope all of that means something to you guys. I hope you learned something. I hope uh, more than you learning something, I hope it uh, what you've listened to today will affect you and your walk with the Lord and your ministry. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. I hope that you'll be back with us in the same time, same place next week as we continue to interview pastors and missionaries from around the world about international missions and the Great Commission. Thank you so much for listening. Until I see you next time, God bless. 
Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe and share us on social media. Also, please make sure to check out our other podcast, Theology Roundtable, at theologyroundtable.com.